0: As our choir comes down, uh, Brother Glenn, thank you and Hillcrest again for the privilege to be here uh, for this wonderful Bible conference. And I'm going to go ahead and preach and get out of the way. I sure want to hear Brother Harold's message tonight. But I got a word uh, I believe from the Lord uh, that that were related in Mark and in John. And I want to look at what Mark said about it. So go to Mark chapter 14, one of my favorite stories in the Bible Actually, it's in three of the four Gospels, but Mark and John talk about it in great detail. I'm preaching on Mary of Bethany, and I'm preaching tonight on this subject. Don't ever stop. Don't ever stop. Great passage of Scripture, Mark 14. Would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? Everybody standing. I'm in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 3. The Bible says in Mark 14, 3, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. She broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble you her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do them good, but me you have not always. She hath done what she could. I'll read that again. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. 2,000 years ago, a peasant woman did an incredible act, of obedience on the Lord Jesus, and we're reading about it tonight. I'm preaching on this subject, don't ever stop. Don't ever stop. Thank God for his word. Please be seated, let's pray together. God, I ask you now to touch me. God, I come against my enemy, every devil's spirit. We want him to know that he's a liar and a loser, and he's not welcome in this house tonight. So God, surround this place with your holy angels. God, loose me and let me go. I I promise you, God, that I'll give you the glory for everything you'll do right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Psalm 100, verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. I love the story of the two fellas who crashed their little plane on a desert, uncharted island. Miraculously, they got out of the plane, both of them unscathed, unscratched. But they had two different reactions. One of the fellas got out of the plane, started sprinting up and down the beach, screaming hysterically, we're done, we're finished, it's over, we're going to die on this island. The other fellow calmly walked over, got a cushion from off the plane, walked under a palm tree, laid his head up against the palm tree, took a two-hour nap. When he woke up, the hysterical man was in front of him and said, are you out of your mind? What's wrong with you? Our radio's broke, we're on a desert island, nobody knows where we are. Nobody's ever going to find us. We're never going to get off here. Aren't you the least bit worried? And the fellow who was sleeping said, Oh, no, I'm not the least bit worried. See, I make $225,000 a week. I'm a mega rich man. He said, Well, what's the big deal about that? Who cares? And the man said, Well, you don't understand. I'm a Baptist, and I'm a faithful tither. I guarantee you my pastor will find me. (laughs) Folks, I don't know whether you've noticed or not. And you know something, Brother Errol, maybe it's just me. I don't know if anybody else has noticed, but does it seem to you that good old-fashioned faithfulness is on the decline in the modern-day church? I don't know if that bothers you at all. It just seems like that folks that used to be consistent and committed can no longer be counted on like they used to be. And I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight, but I've got a word for somebody in this gathering. And the challenge is this, don't ever stop. Don't ever stop. That's the message that a little woman in Bethany taught us, a little event that happened 2,000 years ago. Everybody knows the story, but I'm going to bring you up to speed. Lazarus has just died. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus along with Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. Lazarus is dead. So Jesus now has come to town to come to the funeral. But let's get real. Jesus never just went to a funeral. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus just sitting at a funeral? I mean, Jesus came, but he didn't come to pay his respects. Jesus came to raise Lazarus from the dead so Jesus shows up at the funeral and that's exactly what he did have you noticed in the Bible that every time Jesus showed up a miracle followed in his wake oh come on son when Jesus showed up sicknesses stopped and storms ceased when Jesus showed up darkness was dispelled demons were defeated and diseases were delivered when Jesus showed up lepers were loosed and lame men were left leaping just because Jesus walked up so Jesus isn't just coming to attend the funeral Jesus is coming to raise Lazarus from the dead. And now the story picks up with a resurrection celebration supper. You know what's going on? Here's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus sitting at the table with Jesus. And they're celebrating the life of their brother. And all of a sudden, Mary did the incredible. In the middle of it all, Mary got up, left the room, and came back with an expensive box of perfume. Son, she didn't even bother to take the lid off. She broke the box and poured it on the head of Jesus. And when she did, some folks started pointing and criticizing, even the disciples of the Lord. But there was one person in that room that was excited. You know who it was? It was Jesus. Matter of fact, look what Jesus said in verse number 9. Watch what he said. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. You know what the word memorial means? It means to remember. I want to tell everybody in this house something tonight. God never forgets faithfulness. He always remembers faithfulness. I want you to know Jesus remembered the act of this woman and we're reading about her tonight. And it's a challenge to somebody in this room. It's a challenge to somebody. Don't ever stop. There's three areas of your Christian life that I believe in this passage of scripture. You don't ever need to stop. Number one, don't ever stop leaving your offering. I'm going to say that again. Don't ever stop leaving your offering. Look what the Bible says in verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he said at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard. Now, watch this very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. That word poured means emptied. In other words, students, the Bible said she emptied the entire contents on the head of Jesus. You know what Mary did? She left her offering. I remember my first job and my very first paycheck. Remember that first paycheck? I was 17 years old. My granddaddy had restored an old 1961 Oldsmobile that was barely running, but it was my car, son. I thought it was the baddest boy in town. And I had my first job. I went to a big school in central Florida where we worked half a day and got to work half a day. And boy, you remember that first paycheck that had your name on it? Not my mama's name, not my daddy's name, my name. That first paycheck, son, I took that paycheck and cashed it at the store on the way home. And for the first few months, we didn't open a bank account. I would just give most of it to mama and she'd put it in a jewelry box and I'd keep the rest of it to spend. When I got home that day, Brother Glenn, my mama said to me with that first paycheck, now son, are you going to tithe off that check? I said, no, (laughs) ma'am. My daddy was the head of the home. I mean, I was a young preacher boy, but there was no way I was tithing. I mean, daddy was the, was the daddy. I wasn't going to do it. So you know what I did? I poured that paycheck into my love, my real love, that old 1961 Oldsmobile. Son, I'm telling you, I poured it into that thing. I got tinted windows. And then one day they peeled off and rolled down and... Didn't bother me. I wasn't under conviction. I just kept spending more money. I put shag carpet on the floorboard. Don't some of you look at me like you didn't experience the 60s, man. I put shag carpet in the floorboard. Didn't know there was a hole in the bottom of the car. Water seeped up. Rotted that shag carpet. Oh, it stunk. But I still wasn't under conviction. I got some fuzzy dice for the rearview mirror. Again, the 60s, man. And then one day I'm driving along the whole rearview mirror falls down in the front seat son had to get it fixed and then one day I got a racing strap on the back and plowed my car into another car at school had to replace all that and then last of all I got me four mag wheel covers not mag wheels couldn't afford them got the covers and I came on one day with just three of them because one of them had rolled down the road somewhere. And finally after all that, I think after I lost that last mag wheel, you know what suddenly hit me? I better start tithing or my whole car is going to fall apart. <laughs> Now I know I'm preaching to a Friday night crowd at a Bible conference, but I'm going to preach about money for the very first part of this sermon because I guarantee you there's somebody in this house that needs this. Why in the world, Rick, are you making a big deal about money? All throughout the Bible, God uses our attitude about money to take our spiritual temperature. You know why? Because our possessions are the last thing that God gets. Because one of the greatest sins we still deal with in our life is the sin of selfishness. And I want to tell you about what Mary did about her offering. Now, it'll be painful for somebody because some Baptists get redneck mad, boy, when you preach about money, even in a Bible conference. But here we go. I want to say two things about Mary leaving her offering. First of all, Mary left her offering generously. That third verse again says, in the middle of the verse, it was ointment of spikenard. Spikenard means genuine. It was genuine. Then the Bible says, very precious. That means very costly. And you students of the Bible already know this. This was the perfume of kings and emperors. Only rich people could afford this. How in the world did a peasant woman have something this expensive? Maybe she'd saved all of her life. Maybe it was in her hope chest. Maybe it was in her some kind of retirement fund. I don't know. But I want everybody to listen. The Bible said she poured it all out. Matter of fact, the Bible said it was 300 denarii or pence. She poured a year's wages. For a man worked all day in the Bible for one denarii or pence. She poured a whole year's wages out on the head of the Lord Jesus. What are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say this. She gave her very best. She gave generously, and it was her best. My birthday was in December, and my wife said, Honey, we'll take you to any restaurant you want to go to. Big birthday. Jacksonville, Brother Harold, Jacksonville, Florida, got a brand new Brazilian steakhouse. And I'm a carnivore, man. And I like it when you got that green thing turned up, that coaster, and they just keep slicing that meat, son. I said, That's where I want to go. So my grandchildren from St. Augustine, about an hour from us came. My son and his wife came and, and we gathered there. Here's what happened to the little four-year-old. I'm sitting there in the waiting area and she come running over to me. She loves birthdays. And she crawled up and kissed me, said, happy birthday, I love you. And I suppose before we sat down, that little girl said, I love you, happy birthday, 15 or 20 times. But I got to tell you about her. She will not share one morsel of food with anybody. She won't give you a cheese puff. She won't give you an M&M. She won't give you one potato chip. But boy she said I love you. She sat down close to me. She wanted to sit by me. I thought I'd pick at her a little bit. Her mama didn't want her to have that rich meat so they went to the salad bar. She got some beans and some rice and some fruit. And periodically I'd look down and I'd say give me a little bit of your rice. She'd say no. I'd say give me some of your beans. She'd say No. I said, give me some of your fruit. And she pulled her plate back to her and said, no. And then toward the end of the evening, she put a piece of papaya in her mouth and chewed on that, scrunched that face up, made that ugly look, and all in one motion, she pushed her plate toward me after she spit it out on the plate, and she said, here. And I thought, brother, that'll preach right there, son. That reminds me of a lot of Christians. Son, there's a lot of Christians, after they chew it up and spit it out, they give God the leftovers. Don't look at me like you don't understand that. We got Christians all over America, their teams and their toys and their things get all their passion. And then when it's all used up, God gets the leftovers. They give all their effort to all their industries and their entertainment, and then God gets all the leftovers. Everybody else gets the best and then God gets the rest. Oh, you know I'm telling the truth. Son, there are some Christians, they can't give Jesus one night of revival. There are some Christians, they can't give Jesus two Sundays in a row. There are some Christians, they can't give 10% of their income. There are some Christians that can't even give Jesus five minutes a day in prayer. I want to go ahead and make this real clear. If you're going to offer Jesus that which cost you nothing, it would be better to offer him nothing. Because he deserves the very best. He doesn't deserve my leftovers. He deserves the very best. And I want to say everybody in this building can give Jesus the same thing. You may not be able to give him the same thing in terms of talent or in terms of money or in terms of education but everybody here can give Jesus the same thing in terms of one statement. We can give Jesus our very best and this woman gave the best. Pastor, I want to encourage you. I know you get weary and tired. Give him your best. God has called you to preach the word of God. That means be at your best. Stay steady in the word. Stay fresh. Stay before the Lord. Don't give God your leftovers. Give him your best. Don't stay up and watch the late game on ESPN on Saturday night and then drag into the pulpit giving God the leftovers give God your very best because he deserves your very best son I'm telling you this woman gave generously I'm not finished I'm still talking about money she not only gave generously son check this out this is good she gave gladly oh look what the Bible says look at verse 4 and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said why was this waste of the ointment made waste teenagers that word waste is where we get our word for trash why are you trashing this? And by the way, may I, may I make this statement? The world says anything you give to God's a waste. But I want to tell every teenager here, anything you don't give God is a waste. Yeah. The Bible said this woman gave something it was a waste. And John, in John chapter 12, tells us "Oh, Judas is the one that led the charge. For look what it says in verse 5. For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence or denarii and had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. You know what the word murmured means? is a picture of a hog snorting. <laughs> you ever meet an old snorting Baptist? I mean, they, they snort about everything. Snorting about the heat, Snorting about the music, Snorting about the length of the service. I got a mental picture here. Old Judas and the disciples are, <laughs> they're snorting, son. Bunch of old snorters. And they're griping because this woman, they said, has trashed this. Now I know, again, I'm preaching to the Friday night crowd. And I know I'm preaching to the cream of the crop. But somebody needs what is about to be said. So don't miss this. It's amazing to me pastors. That whenever you preach on money. Some Christians get aggravated. I'll never understand that. I mean son you can preach against homosexuality. And they'll pitch babies out of the balcony. And, and you can preach against hell. And they'll shout and run up and down the aisles. But if you preach on money. Or about money. Some of them climb up. Can I tell you why? They ain't giving. That's why. So I want to give somebody a word now. This is good. Maybe just one person in this building needs this. So I doubt it. Let me give you some money management tips tonight. Let me tell you how to make the best bang out of your buck. You you might want to write this down. Tithe part of it and trust God with the rest of it. See, we're living in a generation where that's disappearing. I'm not picking on any generation of people. But you do understand, especially with the millennials, You do understand that our churches are being filled up with tippers and not tithers. And there was a generation of folks that are 50 and over. When they are gone, some churches are going to be in trouble. Some of the fastest growing churches in America are those churches where people just come and sit and be entertained. They're never involved. They never serve. They come and go and they give very little to the work of the Lord. They just give their leftovers and there's so many volumes of people. That's why some churches survive. Now folks, I'm not being ugly. I'm not picking on anybody else, but there's some Christians that have never learned the beauty of tithing, the joy of tithing. It's in the Word of God. You say, Rick, you're talking about Malachi where it's Says, bring the tithes to the That's in the Old Testament. Mine's still attached. Man, I don't have a Bible full of holes. I got a Holy Bible. And I'm going to flat tell you, I can tell you right where you are with the Lord if you let me look at your checkbook. Everything else is just talk. Proverbs 3 demands we bring the first fruits to him. Who in the world says I'm saved and Jesus is the Lord of my life that don't want to give God the first part of every dollar? Amen. Who in the world? Deuteronomy fourteen twenty three says one of the purposes of tithing in our lives is to draw us closer to God and put God in the rightful place that God needs to be. And again, I know where I'm preaching, but I'm preaching this because God told me to preach it. A man came up to me one time after I preached on money. I'm an evangelist, but I preached a whole service on money one night. A man and his money. Guy come up to me and kind of got me over in a corner and said, you got a lot to learn, preacher. And I did and I do. But here's what he said. He said, I want you to understand you're way out of line. And he used the word waste. Why'd you waste a whole sermon preaching about money? He said, my money's my business. I make it. I earn it. It's my business. And I wasn't ugly, but I said, no, it's not. It's not your business. Are you going to get up and go to work tomorrow? I asked him. He said, yes. I said, big boy, the reason you're getting up and going to work is because your heart is beating. And the only reason your heart is beating is because God is pumping life into your body. And the only reason you've got a job is because God gave it to you. And the only reason you can bring home a paycheck is because of the blessing of the Lord. Everything we've got belongs to the Lord. It's not ours. It's his. Can I encourage you? Leave your offering before the Lord. Don't stop the joy of giving. Amen. I got a letter right here. am not going to take up a lot of time with this. I'm not going to read you the whole letter. I got a letter right here. And I'm, I'm just, I'm going to read you the parts underlined. I'm not going to read you the whole letter front and back. I give you a word. Got this letter in December from a lady named Jana and her husband. And I do not know them. I, I would maybe if I saw them, but apparently I was preaching a revival in their home or in their town 20 years ago. Because she was a teenager. 20 years ago, apparently, Brother Harold and I ate in their home one night. And I, I don't remember. She said that she came to my student camp years and years ago. Well, here's what happened. I got this letter. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you the summation. Then I'll read you the best part. This woman said this to me in the letter. She said, my husband and I own a concrete business own a number of trucks. And we've never recovered from the recession. She said, we've been struggling and struggling. have never recovered from it at all. And said, we became convicted that we weren't tithers that we weren't bringing the first fruit to the Lord. And God convicted us about tithing. Amen. And then she said, God convicted us about giving to a ministry. And she said, we wanted to give to you and your ministry. Not to me, but to the ministry. Rick Warren Ministries. says ministries that go straight in the ministry. And then here's the best part. I need to tell you that our ministry depends on the gifts of God's people. And for 30 years, God has abundantly blown our doors off. But the fall was not a great fall. Only two or three churches even met our budget need. It's, Brother Harold's not been like that in 10 years. And our ministry supports about 20 other missionaries every month. And it came time to write those mission checks all over the country and even the world to some missionaries around the world. I got ready to write those mission checks, about $2,000 of mission checks. And I told my wife, honey, if I write these checks, I don't know if there'll be enough money in the bank at the beginning of January to pay our our staff and our office and all that stuff. And I thought, I'm just going to wait and catch up in January. And the Spirit of God convicted me and said, you hypocrite, you've made a commitment to give them money. And so I wrote those checks. Now, I'm not being spiritual. I didn't want to do it. You understand? Now, I'm telling you, two or three days later, this came in the mail. And with this letter came a check for $1,000. And then I read the part that blew me away, and I'm reading it. I'm underlined. I'll show this to you in your face after the service. She said, it's been difficult. We didn't know how we were going to put fuel in all of our trucks. It's been expensive. But we began to tithe and give to the Lord. So she said, the other day, I walked out to the tanks where our maintenance man was putting fuel in the trucks, as you put in Princess, he's a lost man. She said, "How's it going? Do we have enough fuel?" And this is what he said. I've underlined it. He said, "I don't know what's happening. Every time I check, it's only down a little bit. Less seems to be coming out of the tank than is going in the trucks. He said, "I don't understand it. It's like somebody's multiplying the fuel." That's exactly what it says in the letter) Can I just remind you, give and it shall be given you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I didn't mean to spend so much time talking about money, but it's too late. It's out of the can. Can I tell you something? You need to be a giver. Don't ever stop leaving your offering. I'm not finished. Number two, don't ever stop living in obedience. Don't ever stop leaving your offering. Don't ever stop living in obedience. Talk about obedience this morning. For now it gets real good. Look at verse 6. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She hath wrought a good work on me. The word good means valuable. Notice Jesus doesn't say she's wrought a famous work on me. Jesus says she's wrought a good work on me. The Bible says this woman was obedient. Preacher, I was preaching a revival. And a fellow came, because everybody wants to be famous. A fellow came up to me in the lobby. This happened just like this. He said, preacher, I've got a spiritual desire. Would you pray for me? I was excited. I got him over in the corner, began to pray for him. I said, what's your spiritual desire? And he said it just like this. I want to be a great, famous gospel singer. And he handed me one of his CDs that he's recorded. I've got about 5,000 of them. And he handed me one of his CDs, said, would you pray for me that God will open doors for me and maybe you'll help me get discovered. I want to be a great, famous, great, famous gospel singer. Well, I'm not being ugly, but I listened to the CD later that night and I made this discovery. He ain't never going to be a great, famous gospel singer. But it blows my mind that everybody wants to be in the spotlight. Everybody wants to be in the limelight. It seems like everybody wants to be on the stage. Everybody wants to be the star. And what an opposite picture this woman paints. For in a simple act of obedience, look at the lesson she teaches us. There are two of them. I'll give them to you before I go to my last point, which will be very brief. Two lessons. Lesson number one when it comes to living in obedience is Christ is first. Would you look at the power of verse 6? Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Is anything missing in that verse? Anything? Anything? Do you notice something that's not there? I'll give it to you. Her name. Nowhere is her name found in the text. We wouldn't know who she was if John didn't tell us in John chapter 12. She's called her four times. She six times. Five times by Jesus. One time early in the passage, woman. But she's never called by her name. I want you to understand something. Nobody outside that house knew what she did. And everybody criticized her for it. Her name is not mentioned one time in the text. She didn't run and put it on her Facebook page. She didn't put it on Instagram. She didn't tell everybody what she was doing. Nobody else knew what that woman did outside the house. We're trying to say, preacher, what a principle What a principle. The most important name is not your name. The most important name is his name. That's the most important name. See, but Brother Rick, I want somebody to know me. Hey, let me tell you something. As long as Jesus knows who you are, you're good. You understand? Nothing else really matters. What a principle in the Word of God. Nobody knew this woman's name. Christ first. Christ first. I'm telling you, preacher, I learned it at an early age. This, this, this fame thing. I I pastored two churches. That's all I pastored, two churches before becoming traveling evangelist all those years ago. First church I pastored preachers. I made a dumb mistake, a rookie mistake. After vacation Bible school, we had a church of about 300 people. After vacation Bible school, I decided to list all the workers in the bulletin. Bad move. I know dumb, dumb, just dumb. And I inadvertently left out this woman's name. And of course she pouted, got mad didn't come to church, and of course I began to get the word because the preacher was the last to know. They'll tell everybody but the preacher, son. And I found out they're home pouting because I left her name out. Preacher, I went by, sat on her front porch, told her I was sorry, begged her to come back to church. That wasn't enough. Then I put a retraction in the bulletin and printed her name by herself. But that wasn't good enough. I went back by her house and that woman lectured me, never forget what she said. She looked at me and said, young preacher, you need to understand, you can't leave out names. My husband and I have an important name in this church and folks, I've learned it since I've been an evangelist. I was at a church 10 or 12 years ago. They had a gospel singing group and the pastor, it was a quartet and I love gospel music. But they would not been there and you could just tell by the way they were walking that they were them and we were not. And you could just tell we got in the pastor's office for the service and the pastor said to him, now boys, you got 20 minutes and then the preacher's going to preach. And the lead singer said, 20 minutes, we need at least 40. said, you need to understand people are driving many miles to see us. And that young pastor never missed a beat, son. He looked at that singer and said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought they were coming to see Jesus. And folks, I've just learned it. I'm not being ugly. I'm not being unkind. But after all these years in ministry, young preachers, uh, I've seen singers strut. I've seen preachers parade. I've seen leaders laud and want to be applauded. I mean, it just, it gets ridiculous, man. How many folks want their name to be mentioned? Oh, get real. Did you know, and I'm an evangelist. Brother Harold's an evangelist. And there are great evangelists that are my heroes. But did you know there are some evangelists in America, you've got to sign a contract guaranteeing them a specific amount of money or they'll not come to your church. Some of them, you still got to go through an agent. Oh, it's the truth. There are some singing groups, if they're going to come to your church, they're going to ask questions like this. What size is your venue? How many do you seat? Will you sell tickets? We're not coming unless it's a certain size. There are folks that will not come to, quote, minister in a church if they don't have a certain brand of water in the green room or a certain kind of nuts and candy on the table. I know what I'm talking about. I'm telling the truth. They'll not come and minister if they don't have the ambiance or if they're not bragging on. Folks, I was at a church where the poor minister of music had to go out and buy a gospel quartet, four black handkerchiefs because they mistakenly wore white handkerchiefs and they were afraid Lent was going to get on their suits. Oh, have mercy, son. But we're living in that generation. And then open my Bible and I read about the Apostle Paul. I read where he was accosted and afflicted and attacked and abused. I read where he was robbed. I read where he was bit by a snake. I read where he was left in the ocean I read where he was left under a pile of rocks, left to die. I read where they put him in a basket and lowered him down over a wall. I don't think Paul had to have a certain brand of water to come to a church. I don't believe you have to stay in a certain kind of hotel to come to a church, but yet when I read about Paul, I read words like this in Galatians 2:20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And it's not about me; it's about Jesus. I read 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-nine, that says, "No flesh should glory in His presence." I read John chapter twelve, verse thirty-two, where Jesus said, "And I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me." I tell you, we all all need to be encouraged and we all need to be stroked but as long as your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and cannot be erased rejoice and be glad because you're not the captain of the ship you're not the hero of this army you're not the star of this show it's all about Jesus it's all about Jesus and Mary Mary gave this act of sacrifice it was Christ first let me give you this in my last point I'll be brief I told you Telling you if you're going to be obedient, you've got to say this Christ is first. Second, you've got to say Christians are faithful. Before we come to that grand eighth verse, I just want to minister to you. Look at verse eight She hath done what she could. What a verse. Bible doesn't say she tried to do what she couldn't do. Bible says she did what she could. Bible doesn't say she wanted to do something else but couldn't. Bible says she did what she could. See, the great tragedy is that folks won't do what they can. That's the great tragedy. Bible says, she had, are you listening? And, and it had nothing to do with the perfume, how much the perfume was worth. That's not what impressed the Lord. It was not how much the perfume was worth. What impressed the Lord is this woman did what she could. Everybody can't hold a microphone. Everybody can't play an instrument. Everybody can't preach like you're a pastor. God saved you to do what you can. I was preaching in your state of Tennessee last year, preacher, and one night after the service, pastor and I were late talking, and we walked outside, and there was an elderly woman out of her car, and the car wouldn't start. She was all upset, and she was shivering. It was a cold night, and the preacher and I did what most men do. We opened the hood and looked underneath it, <laughs> and I want everybody to understand something. These hands were made to hold a Bible. You understand? <laughs> I'm telling you, I'll work hard. Give me a shovel. I'll dig a ditch. But it's amazing, and then And you mechanics, I admire you. But I'm telling the guys that aren't mechanics, men will open the hood and we'll just, that we're just looking. Uh, What in the world? I mean, I knew what the belts were. I knew where the battery was. But I don't know an alternator from a distributor. I don't know a crankcase from a catalytic converter. And there I am looking in that. We're just looking and looking. Like it's going to magically start if men look at it long enough. And all of a sudden the pastor said, I got two mechanics in my church. I got two old boys that are mechanics, and they're good. They were at revival tonight. I'm going to call them. He called them. They arrived at the church. Pastor said, Brother Rick, I'm going to take her inside. She was cold. Said, you can stay out here with them, or you can go miss." I said, I won't stay and watch these boys work. I watched those guys get their tools out. They opened the hood, because we'd already closed it. One old boy (laughs) stuck a flashlight in my hand and said, Preacher, hold this flashlight. Held that flashlight down over that engine. Those two old boys did their work. And a little while, that thing started up. I got worked up. That thing started. I I just admire guys that can do something like that. The other one grabbed the flashlight, closed the hood, and said, thanks, preacher. I said, I didn't do anything. I just held the flashlight. He said, no, no, we couldn't have done it without you. I thought, i fixed that woman's car. I fixed her car, man. He said, preacher, all you did was hold the flashlight. Hey, somebody needs to hold the flashlight. See, not not everybody can be a mechanic. Somebody's got to hold the flashlight. Can I remind you what builds a church? Great churches are not built on big things. They're built by people that do little things. They're not built by the head hog at the trough and the guy with the most money and the guy that's got the most power. The great churches are built by people who do little things. Can I tell you the heroes of your church? The heroes of your church, can I tell you who they are? The heroes of your church are the lady that sits on the carpet in the toddler room and teaches that little child their first gospel song. Can I tell you the heroes of your church? The heroes of your church is the lady that rocks a baby in the nursery that's not even hers. Can I tell you the heroes of the church? They're the people that pick up trash they didn't throw on the floor. They're the people that cook the meals they're not going to eat. The heroes of the church are people that stack tables and fold chairs and just do the work of the Lord because they love the Lord. They're not there for notoriety. They just want to do what they can for the Lord. You ever been in a worship service and the preacher's preaching and something needs to be done in the church and it's mentioned, all of a sudden the Holy Ghost speak to you and say, You can do that. You can do that. Church was trying to raise 20 million dollars to build a building. They got a big old banquet and it got exciting. Everybody started standing with these grandiose figures they were pledging publicly. Got out of hand before the preacher could stop it. The richest man in the church said, I pledge a million dollars. Everybody were in awe and they just clapped. Another old boy pledged $250,000. Another one 100000 Another 50000 This went on for a while. Finally, it got quiet. A little widow lady down near the front table near the preacher said, Preacher, I'll pledge $100. And everybody cleared their throat and bowed their heads. It was embarrassing. But the wise preacher knew. Her husband was in heaven. She was living on a fixed income. And she was probably giving a greater sacrifice than the millionaire. And so the wise preacher said, Wait, church. Wait. What's that I hear? I think I hear the applause of the nail-scarred hands of Calvary. Adrian Rogers was my hero. Dr. Rogers said it so many times. If you please God, it don't matter who you displease. And if you displease God, it don't matter who you please. And I'm done right now. Done right now. First, you need to leave an offering. Can I just encourage you to keep on? Don't ever stop leaving your offering. Don't ever stop living in obedience. Number three, I'm finished. Don't ever stop looking for opportunities. Let me say that again. Don't ever stop looking for opportunities. I'm rounding third. Don't miss this. Look what the Bible says. What a verse. Verse 8. She had done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for the bearing. Students, what in the world is he talking about? You know, he's going to be dead in a little while. Jesus is in the last days of his life. He's going to be dead. And it's amazing isn't it, that Mary got it. His own guys didn't get it. But this woman seemed to know what was about to happen. Because see, in Bible days, they had no embalming process. You know that. All they would do was put that body, that dead body on some kind of linen and anoint it with spices and ointments of all kinds. And some women were going to do that. Y'all remember? Three days after his death, some women came to a tomb one morning. And they were going to do what they needed to do. They were going to anoint the body of Jesus. When they got there, the stone was rolled away and he was not there. But there was one woman that already did it. See, check it out. Mary not only did what she could... She did what she could while she had a chance to do it. Now, if I don't say nothing else, that's enough right there. You better do what you can, son, and you better do it while you can do it. Because the window's going to close. Someone has described faithfulness as using every ability. Excuse me. Using every opportunity with every ability to the glory of God. Faithfulness. What are the Marines now? Two hundred and what, 40-something years old this year. I think, you know, they were 100 years in existence before they found a motto. I think it was 1882 or 83, they finally came up with a motto. And you know it. That Latin phrase, semper fidelis, which means always faithful. See, a Marine's not always faithful when it's convenient. Not always faithful when it feels good. Not always faithful when he's out in front of everybody. He's always faithful. You know what degree I'm looking for? My WD degree. Well done. I want him to say well done. That's the degree I'm looking for. Be faithful.